Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The social session. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. That's what the General Assembly's dealing with. There's just no way around this. None. And you know they don't want it. You know they don't want any part of this. This is what they hate in the General Assembly. And you know that Governor Holcomb wants no part of this either. It seems to me that standing up for Hoosier parents to be able to speak out about their kids' education is not what he wants to do. Which is, well, uh, it's in, in a word, uh, shameful. You should at least agree. You should at the very least agree that parents have the right to advocate for their kids. That would be that would be my take. You should at least be there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com. Let me get into two pieces of legislation here that we're dealing with in the General Assembly. Now, I'm going to speak with Eric Berman from WIBC, Chief Political Correspondent. Uh, we, he does uh, every week, he does a State House review, what's going on. We'll get into a bunch of, of these things and, and how he's seeing it. But rather, I, I'd like to get into the, well, the insanity against uh, people who are opposed to teaching critical race theory in schools. The people who are disgusted by this, whether it's Senate Bill 167 or House Bill 1134, they all go down the same road that anything that you say uh, about critical race theory or anti-racism, that's just because you're a bigot. That's how it seems to be. Here I have a piece from WTHR.com. Teachers, black leaders oppose racist school bill. You don't want to teach kids that they are guilty for their existence. White kids aren't guilty of things that happened 100 years ago. And black kids are not being put upon today in a racist country. As a matter of fact, if you call it a racist country, I think that's obscene. The country is not racist. Let's say it again. Let's do it again for the people in the cheap seats. The country is not racist. Of course not. Of course not. If the country was truly in in a codified way racist, no black person would ever be able to get anywhere. It, it would be it would be purposefully impossible. And in America, everything is possible. That is different than an acknowledgement of history. I can acknowledge that anti-Semitism exists. I can acknowledge that it exists in the United States, and I can acknowledge it existed in Germany. That is way different than saying that Germany is an anti-Semitic nation, because it's not. The idea of holding Germans today, German kids, a German nine-year-old, is not guilty for the Holocaust, and they shouldn't think that they are. They should know about it, but they shouldn't think that that's them. That's an awful 
awful thing to tell a kid. That is despicable. But that's what anti-racism does. That's what these woke people do. And we put it under the umbrella of critical race theory. What they say is, is that if approved, like House Bill 1134, this bill would prohibit educators from teaching critical race theory and certain concepts commonly associated with critical race theory, such as members of one group uh, being inherently responsible for the status of, of another group. It would also require teachers to post all cr- instructional material online and direct every school corporation to put together a curriculum advisory committee that would include parents and teachers. All right, so that's what House Bill 1134 would do. Uh, David Green, who's a pastor of Purpose of Life Ministries in Indianapolis, spoke in a news conference where there were educational consultants and members of the NAACP and the Indiana State Teachers Association. And it reads, black and brown students are woefully behind academically. One of the top recommendations for addressing this issue was to address the number of minority teachers. This bill and similar bills would lead to a decrease in minority teachers. Well... No, that I, I don't believe that has anything to do with it. There is some interesting data that exists out there about the idea that if there are more black teachers in education and more kids see black teachers, whether they're black or white, it is actually helpful. Like, like there, it, it's interesting the data that that shows that. Very interesting indeed. But to make the argument that somehow if you were to implement these laws that simply prevent teachers from going down the, well, you know, you're guilty for your existence. Well, you know, you're oppressed. Utilizing that in a simple way. We're really opposed to legislation that does that. That seems radical to me. It seems radical to me to say, hey, it's too much to put on teachers to have them, you know, uh, post their, their, their curriculum online. Why? I mean, why is it too much? I think it's a fine question to ask. And what we're told from, from the quick is you can't even ask that. It's just too much. How dare you? Why do you hate teachers? And what you get is people like Andrew Pierce, who's a professor uh, there at uh, St. Mary's College in at Notre Dame, in Notre Dame, South Bend area, that these race-neutral bills like House Bill 1134 are designed to protect the advantages of white Americans. And this guy's white. Certainly from the photo, that's my guess. And writes a whole thing at the Indianapolis Star about white people. Instead of viewing this sort of legislation as a failure to understand to properly educate Hoosier youth, we must understand that under education is precisely its goal. These bills are not about pedagogy, but politics, shaping a generation of students to remain in the dark about our country's legacy of racial injustice and thus remain amenable to the GOP's racially regressive platform. Is that what it's about? Dear Lord. He writes, the GOP is invested in keeping young people ignorant of racial realities in the interest of maintaining its political power and ultimately in the interest of disarming any challenges to the systemic advantages that white Americans possess. The entire article is based in bigotry because it's predicated really on two things. Number one, all white people think alike. And number two, there are no black Republicans. Ain't that something? Here is a bill critical of 
these critical race theory bills in education. And here he goes about saying all white people are guilty and all white people, in his view, think alike. All white people have got to deal with their fragility and all white people have to deal with their oppression and we should teach such a thing. He actually writes, might some conscientious white students feel discomfort upon learning about Indian boarding schools where indigenous children were taught that their culture was savage and inferior. While white guilt is not a particularly productive emotion, good teachers know that learning and growth often entails some level of discomfort. Nine-year-olds should feel guilty for their existence. That's good education. Get out of here. That's what parents are saying. Parents are saying, no, it's not. It's not good education. It's downright lousy. And that's why they want things like House Bill 1134. We're going to get into more of that. Joe Biden talked about supply chains. I'm going to bring that to you coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Hear the drums echoing tonight She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation She's coming in 1235 Is to increase our domestic semiconductor manufacturing capacity That's why last year I announced a historic investment to expand our operations in Arizona and Mexico. And as the company who puts silicon into Silicon Valley and the company that is now the catalyst for the Silicon Heartland, Intel is committed to restoring end-to-end leadership, innovation, and manufacturing here in the U.S. We are doing our part, but... We can't do it alone. Well, that's great that you're doing your part. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. uh, President Biden talking about semiconductors and the problem, the supply chain issues that are out there. It was him. It was the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, who's the former governor of Rhode Island, the head of Intel here, discussing the issue. We don't build the things. Not building the things is a tremendous problem. You got to build things. You cannot rely on manufacturing from China or from Singapore or from Thailand or from Taiwan. No, you have to have some piece of it yourself. We have to have skin in the game. That's what matters. That's what's so incredibly important. We got to have skin in the game. We have to be able to be the people who say we got this. Something's happening over there. Some war action is happening over there. Some madness is happening over there. We don't want to deal with those people anymore. We got this. We are not beholden to them. That's the part that matters. That is incredibly, incredibly important. So I wanted to share with you, I mean, this subject affects all of us. Never, never mind President Biden and that disgusting press conference. Never mind President Biden and his, and his issues. Just want to make sure you hear what he has to say about the supply chain and semiconductors. President Biden, I want to make sure you heard it. There's the kid from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I didn't think it either. So uh, (laughs) it's great to be with you. Pat, thanks for the introduction. And this is a truly historic investment in America and American workers. This group of Washington reporters have heard me say many times, it's never been a good bet to bet against America. 
We are the most qualified folks in the world here in the United States of America. And I want to thank uh, Sherrod Brown and uh, Rob Portman, two senators who deserve an enormous amount of credit for us getting to this place right now, bipartisanly. The idea that uh, we can work together is uh, only just beginning to dawn on people here, I think. And I want to thank Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who from day one has been helping lead our efforts to strengthen American manufacturing in America and American innovation. Look, Pat just laid out today's uh, big announcement by one of America's most important companies. This historic investment for Ohio, one of the largest investments in semiconductor manufacturing in American history. A brand new $20 billion campus outside of Columbus, Ohio. 7,000 construction jobs. 3,000 full-time jobs. And I was kidding Pat earlier. I said, I may need a job. And he, I said, well, it's not bad. You start over 100,000 bucks on the line, but I got to get some training. But <laughs> look, at, 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 at the singular, look, to be able to say, made in Ohio, made in America, is what we used to always be able to say 25, 30 years ago. That's what this is about. But folks at home might be wondering why it's such a big deal for manufacturing something so small, the size of a postage stamp. Why is that so important? Well, semiconductors are small computer chips that power virtually everything in our lives. Your phone, your car, your refrigerator, your washing machine, hospital equipment, the internet, the electric grid, and so much more. And here's the deal. America invented these chips. America invented these chips, and federal research and development led to the creation of these chips. Taxpayer dollars. These chips helped power NASA mission to the moon. The federal investment helped bring down the cost of making chips to build a market and an entire industry. As a result, over 30 years ago, America had about 40% of global production. But since that time, something happened. American manufacturing, the backbone of our economy got hollowed out. Companies moved jobs and production overseas, especially from in the industrial Midwest. Decades ago, we used to invest 2% of our gross domestic product in research and development. Let me say that again. We invested 2% decades ago of our gross domestic product in pure research and development. Today, it's less than 1%. We were ranked number one in the world in R&D. But guess what? We now rank number nine. China was number eight in the world three decades ago. Now they're number two. And other countries are closing in fast. As a result, today, we barely produce 10% of the computer chips despite being the leader in chip design and research. And we don't have the ability to make the most advanced chips now, right now. But today, 75% of the production takes place in East Asia. 90% of the most advanced chips are made in Taiwan. China is doing everything it can to take over the global market so they can uh, try to outcompete the rest of us and have a lot of applications, including military applications. Folks, look, during this pandemic, your pocketbook felt the consequences, inflation, higher prices. Whenever a factory shuts down in one part of the world, the production and shipments of goods to shops and homes and business all over the world gets disrupted. COVID-19 has compounded that problem many times over, especially with these computer chips. 
As a result, everything from cars to dishwashers are delayed getting to showrooms and customers, just as demand for them is up because the economy is growing. And because supply is low, because supply is low, we find ourselves in a position that we're really behind the curve. Prices are going up. In fact, one-third of the recent price increases have been seen nationally are due to car prices, as was mentioned earlier. You know, can I, I'm going to turn to the boss here. What percentage of chips are needed to build a car today, and what's going to happen in the next five, ten years? 4% today, 20% by 2030. 20% by 2030 is going to be required to, that's, that's, that's what the car is made of. 20%. I will get into more of this as he starts going about his thing. It's a good investment in America. It's a start. I'm Tony Katz. It's a social session going on in the State House can't be denied everywhere you look it's another social bill it's another social subject this will not be an easy thing for a general assembly that doesn't like to dig in on these issues certainly a governor that wants nothing to do with them and avoids them like the plague even when i think he shouldn't tony katz great to be with you eric berman joins us right now he's the chief political correspondent over at 93 wibc the dean of the state house and i have got a series of things uh, Eric, and, and it might not be the stuff that even even matters most to uh, the General Assembly, but we've got a series of things that they're working on, whether it's about education, whether it's it's about um, uh, uh, kids in sports. I'm going to start there with kids in sports because you now have a Republican, Michelle Davis of Greenwood, who has put forth legislation uh, it's House Bill 1041, I believe, prohibiting students who are born male but identify as female from participating in a sport or an athletic team that is designated for women or girls. This is a national conversation. This is a college conversation. It has now reached Indiana. When did this come into being, and what is the take of the General Assembly on it? Well, I think it's – well, you never say never. I don't think that one's going to get a hearing. Uh, it came into Indiana basically when it came in everywhere else. There was a lot of the issues that uh, we're seeing this session from uh, permitless carry to uh, critical race theory to uh, transgender athletes, all of these have uh, have come up nationally, and some of them have passed, and, and some of them have not. You know, Kristen Noem, who doesn't have to show her uh, conservative credential card to anybody, uh, the governor of South Dakota shot down a uh, – a bill on that subject in South Dakota. So look, this, is, this is not what we need and not at the right time. Um, so Representative Davis uh, did introduce that bill. It has not gotten a hearing. What's going to be the answer to quite a few bills uh, coming up here, it's easy to lose track of how short a short session is. Bills that aren't out of committee by Tuesday are done. 
Tuesday's their deadline. We're already there, and it's only January. Bills have to get to the floor on Thursday. Uh, the, the deadlines are a couple of days off in the Senate, but only a couple of days. So, you know, they're, you know the, the hearings aren't done yet. The Education Committee could still hear this one. I don't see it on the calendar yet. Um, those some, sometimes pop up late, and again, they've got two more chances. I don't think it's going to get a hearing, but she certainly put it on the radar. I would uh, just tell everybody that Christy Nome did indeed, uh, quite a few months ago, walk away from, walk around a piece of legislation on this subject, saying that it wasn't written right and it would be shot down. She has now backed a bill banning transgender athletes, and she has engaged in advertising on the subject. And people have reported, like the National Review and others, that she did not realize the level to which this is a very strong conversation amongst not only people on the political right, but but people who have children who are in sports, regardless of their politics. This matters greatly. So I would caution the General Assembly that maybe some people realize this is a more important subject than even they realize, and there might be an issue if they don't engage it. The other thing they're talking about, of course, is House Bill, I think yeah, it's, is it 1134? Is, is that the one? Uh, the yeah, the critical race theory bill, right? Yeah, it is 1134. And before we jump into that one, let me correct myself real quickly. Uh, just taking a quick look at the calendar, I said things can pop up. It's popped up. 1041, the uh, the transgender bill, that is on the, cal- the committee calendar for Monday. So it is going to get a hearing. Um, we'll see if it gets out of committee and we'll see what happens on the floor. But uh, the social issue session continues, as you said. Talking to Eric Berman, chief political correspondent, 93WIBC. Now let's get into House Bill 1134. This, uh, what can can you teach? What can't you teach? How does it get taught? Critical race theory conversation. Where are we at now? Um, you know, we've talked before about the Princess Bride rule when it comes to the it comes to the General Assembly. So things aren't dead; they're only mostly dead. Um, last week, this bill looked dead. Uh, Rod Bray, the Senate President Pro Tem, said, uh, "Look, there's, uh, we've been working on this. Not 1134, but the Senate version, 167, same basic concept. We've been working on this. We've been trying to find a way to move this ahead. We do not see a path forward, and this bill will not be considered." But 1134 is still alive. It's a, that's already through committee. That happened a couple of weeks ago. It has not come to the floor yet because the sponsor of that bill, Tony Cook out of Cicero, um, has had some family issues that he's had to deal with. He's been out all week, and the, the sponsor has to call the bill. Um, he's expected back next week. That is expected to come to the floor, despite uh, what uh, what Senator Bray said on the Senate side. Uh, Speaker Houston says that uh, he expects to see that come up. They're still working on it. On that side, too. And the final form of that is uh, very much up in the air. Um, but Senator Bray has cracked the door on the Senate side as well. You know, whatever the House sends over, that's a different bill. Even if the issues are the same, they will take a look at it. What you've so, got there. Uh, I'm sorry, Tina, go ahead. I was going to ask, can you give us the real difference as the General Assembly sees it between Senate Bill 167 that was pushed forth by Senator Scott Baldwin that fell apart quickly and this House Bill 1134? 
Well, they started out the same. They're different now because the House made some changes in committee when they sent it to the floor. One of the big things is uh, a lot of the uh, the education groups, starting with the ISTA, said this is going to be a huge burden on teachers. That original bill said you have to post your lesson, your daily lesson plan online every day for parents to review, or at the very least within three days of something coming up in class. And there seems to be an acknowledgement in both the House and Senate that yeah, they may have a point there. You know, we, we want transparency, but this would be a huge burden for teachers who are already doing a lot of work after school when they get home. This is too much. When we talk about transparency, if we know what the curriculum is, that shouldn't stop the teacher from uh, doing something on the fly that happens to come up. So that is probably going to fall out. Curriculum is still in the House bill. Um, the, the other big thing, honestly, was a response to the... Uh, the controversy over on the Senate side. Um, both bills started out with provisions that talked about, uh, you know, nothing in this bill shall be construed to say that you can't talk about racism. Um, their, their point is you shouldn't be, both bills have language to the effect of you shall not make a student feel discomfort or guilt about his race or sex or religion or political affiliation. That has been strengthened because of the controversy over the, the remarks uh, that Senator Baldwin made. The House version now has some stronger language saying that anything that goes against American traditions um, is unacceptable and, uh, and nothing should be interpreted as saying you can't teach that. That uh, is described by Representative Cook as that will cover Nazism, that will cover racism. It doesn't mention either of those things specifically, but their argument is, look, we've addressed that concern. Now let's get into some of the things that don't actually involve the social issues. Talking to Eric Berman, chief political correspondent at 93 WIBC. The House has sent the $1.4 billion tax cut to the Senate. This is about uh, Hoosiers getting a a, a refund, savings, uh, as you write about it at WIBC.com, about $171 a year. Is this happening? Um, Too soon to tell. Uh, The the Senate has had some misgivings from the moment that the House first proposed this or first floated this back in November. You know, what what the House started out with was we've got this huge surplus. We should be giving some of that back. But how do we do that? Do we do a business tax cut? Do we cut the sales tax? Do we cut the income tax? Um, they settled on two of those pieces, cutting the income tax and cutting uh, cu- cutting a business tax that uh, Governor Holcomb has talked about as well, talking about the, where the depreciation floor is. Um, so those pieces are both in the bill the House passed yesterday. The Senate has been very leery. Basically, they're saying, uh, look, we've got we've got huge amounts of money now, but some of that came from the federal government because of the uh, the two Trump pandemic relief bills and the one Biden pandemic relief bill. That's money that isn't necessarily going to be there. Plus, this isn't a budget year. We write the budget next year. It's a lot easier to make fiscal decisions when you've got the entire budget in front of you. So they've not ruled it out, but they've been skeptical. I don't think that has changed. Um, the business bill may get a hearing may get a vote in the Senate, the, the depreciation floor. Um, the income tax is going to be a discussion. And this is, as we often say, this is one of those bills where they may be negotiating right up to adjournment to find something they can both agree with. Eric Berman, chief political correspondent in 93 WIBC.
wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better Anybody listen to the speech? I did not say that they were going to be a George Wallace or a Paul Connor. I said we're going to have a decision in history that is going to be marked just like it was then. You either voted on the side that didn't make you George Wallace or didn't make you Bull Connor. But if you did not vote for the Voting Rights Act back then, you were voting with those who agreed with Connor. You mean like Democrats? I mean, that's what Joe Biden just said. But what Joe Biden is trying to do is walk back referring to and comparing Republicans to Bill Connor. We, we saw it. We heard it with our own eyes. As a matter of fact, the Democratic Party has come back to it again and again and again. This constant engagement of just absolute slander, despicableness. This was Representative Jones on the floor of the House referring to sitting U.S. senators. As you just heard, we are living through the worst assault on the right to vote since the Jim Crow era. And yesterday, on the Senate floor, white nationalists used the Jim Crow filibuster to block voting rights legislation. Now, we should note two things. First, Democrats used the filibuster last week to stop sanctions against Russia. Now we know why, considering that Biden is okay with incursions into Ukraine. But when they use the filibuster, it's for a good moral cause. When Republicans use the filibuster, they're white nationalists. So no, Joe Biden can't walk that back. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Make sure you go over to Rumble. Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. We're doing more there every single day. You want to check it out. 10 a.m. Eastern is when we do the morning Rumble with Tony Katz. You want to check it out. It's going well and it's growing. And we have some very, very cool things coming that we'll also be sharing here as well. Biden cannot walk back. The idea that he referred to Republicans and compared Republicans to Bull Connor and segregationists. He can't. The party has made it impossible. It is also not possible for Joe Biden to make the claim that he didn't undermine U.S. elections. Thank you, Mr. President. Speaking of voting rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. It is from that answer that Jen Psaki wants you to believe, oh, he wasn't undermining elections. Believe if all remains as it is right now, that the elections this fall will be legitimate. He's, but yes, but what he is, what the point he was making is that as recently as 2020, as we know, the former president was trying to uh, work with local officials to overturn the vote count and not have ballots counted. And we have to be very eyes wide open about that and clear eyed that that is the intention potentially of him and certainly of, of members of his party. You see, all the members of the Republican Party don't believe in free and fair elections. All the members of the Republican Party, they don't believe in democracy. 
You don't think that's going to have an effect on people? Dehumanizing an entire political party doesn't have an effect. Do you think you're good and decent, Jen Psaki? I know uh, Joe Biden thinks he's good and decent, but not. He's not. He's an angry old man. He's always been this guy, though. But you can't walk it back. You can't walk back that Joe Biden compared Republicans to Bull Connor. And we should be clear, there are black Republicans out there. What an insult. But the big one Joe Biden can't walk back is opening the door and saying to the Russians, incursion, just fine. A minor incursion, no big deal. Hugh Hewitt on Fox News. Okay, Hugh, last uh, comment on this. So there are other things to digest. In the- oh, did I just lose some audio? Oh, that stinks. Because I thought Hugh said it extremely, extremely well. Let me see if I can, if I can make that work. Uh, well, minor incursion is going... He could have talked for four hours, Brett, and minor incursion will be the takeaway because it's a new category of aggression. If uh, the People's Republic of China lurches at Taiwan, is that a minor aggression? If uh, Putin wants a part of Alaska, is that a minor aggression if he only goes for the Aleutians? It's a, it's a revolutionary sort of mistake. And the fact that Jen Psaki came out and drew a circle around it so quickly underscores that he could, he could still be talking. He might still be talking for all we know, to himself. But that minor incursion, along with the idea that Republicans are purposefully trying to make it harder for minorities to vote, those are the takeaways, and they're going to leave a mark. A long time. Huge. Not with the dedicated base, but with moderates, with suburban soccer moms, with rational people who are like, that's nuts. And with world leaders. We have been told... From the days of Joe Biden in the Senate, the days of Joe Biden running with Barack Obama, the days when he ran for president even and failed multiple times, an expert at foreign policy, the best at foreign policy. He knows all the world leaders. He brags about it. You think those world leaders say they know him? Who was more dangerous? Who was more problematic for the country, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Joe Biden said the thing that no one has ever said, and he was right. It is revolutionary. It is a new category. He, he opened up the idea of acceptance of takeover. What can you accept? If there's acceptance of takeover, maybe that explains the southern border. Maybe we should just let those coming across the southern border just take El Paso. Eh, it's just El Paso. I would personally give them New Jersey. Yeah, I grew up there, but we'll take the pizza recipes. They can have the rest. You know what? California, all yours. Reconquista. Joe Biden can't walk any of this back. He endangered the country. He did by saying incursion is fine. The danger is beyond belief and the lack of leadership is exceptional and horrifying. And you will find that with the people you have politically disagreed with over the last years, you might have some agreement in this. I, my advice is utilize that to the very, very best of your ability. Maybe it's a good place, good building block to start from with your friends. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. It is just that easy. Monday, everyone. Take care.